The impeachment report could be here before you finish your leftovers. The lead starts right now. Follow the emails. A new report claims to show the White House scrambling for damage control after President Trump decided to hold up military aid to Ukraine. Turmoil at the Pentagon, possibly stirred up by the commander-in-chief himself. The Navy secretary forced out over a case of military justice that President Trump just couldn't stay away from. Plus, the first security cam video of a castle heist, a billion dollars in diamonds, gemstones, and treasure. Who is behind the biggest robbery since the Second World War? Welcome to The Lead on this Monday. I'm Erica Hill in for Jake. And we begin today with the politics lead. New details this afternoon about the timing and Democrats' next moves in the impeachment inquiry. In a letter to colleagues, House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff says a report laying out the case against the president will come soon after Thanksgiving. This as a White House review of the president's decision to withhold critical military aid to Ukraine shows a coordinated effort to come up with a justification for that hold after the fact. According to The Washington Post, some of the documents containing, quote, unflattering exchanges that could look bad for President Trump. Despite the Trump administration insisting everything was done on the up and up, as seen in Sarah Murray reports, that internal review is raising serious questions. It raises profound constitutional questions. House Democrats seizing today on a report that the White House went searching for a legal explanation to justify President Trump's decision to freeze nearly $400 million in aid to Ukraine, well after the freeze went into effect. The Washington Post first broke the news that a confidential White House search turned up August emails between Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and Acting Office of Management and Budget Director Russ Vogt. In the emails, Mulvaney asks for an update on the legal justification for pausing the aid and how much longer it could stay frozen. Yes, I do. Yes. A source familiar with the situation said OMB decided in July that military aid could legally be paused, temporarily. By August, administration officials were concerned that Trump may not release the money at all, prompting a flurry of conversations in August about whether it was legal to keep the money on hold. The president's got to come to Congress if he's going to hold up money for any reason and explain why there's a public interest to do so. But they just went ahead and held this up for the president's personal political scheming. The revelations come as House Democrats shift to the next phase of impeachment, preparing a report to serve as the basis for articles of impeachment while leaving the door open for more public hearings. We don't foreclose the possibility of more depositions, more hearings. We are in the process of getting more documents all the time. So that investigative work is going to go on. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff telling Jake on State of the Union the House isn't waiting around, even for potentially explosive witnesses like former National Security Advisor John Bolton. If we subpoena him, they will sue us in court. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he will have to explain one day, if, that, if he maintains that position, why uh, he wanted to wait to put it in a book uh, instead of tell the American people what he knew when it really mattered to the country. Now, in his letter to colleagues, Schiff says that the report that they are working on is going to lay out instances where people have failed to comply with subpoenas so that the House can determine whether there should be an article of impeachment based on obstruction. Erica. Sarah Murray with latest. Sarah, thank you. Uh, So, Keith, as we know, this report now coming after Thanksgiving, we could see obstruction added to the articles of impeachment. Is there enough to make that case? Well, given the fact that the... um, 
The White House has refused to comply with any subpoenas. The entire executive branch has refused to comply with any subpoenas. We have evidence now uh, from reporters that there was a concerted effort to conceal any sort, to, to create a cover-up, a post-hoc cover-up uh, for what took place with the Ukraine scandal. I don't think there's any reason, that they, any justification for not having articles of impeachment that include some element of obstruction of justice. Remember, this was a critical element in the Nixon impeachment uh, investigation as well, and, and, and also, of course, in the Clinton impeachment. So I, I don't think that uh, obstruction of justice is unreasonable. I think it's, it's entirely likely to happen and completely justified considering the stonewalling is taking place. When we look at what else we saw in this letter from Adam Schiff, he says the evidence of wrongdoing and misconduct is not in di- dispute, adding... The fact that the president has uniformly uniformly instructed all executive branch agencies and senior officials to obstruct the investigation further demonstrates Ellie consciousness of guilt on the part of the president. There's a lot of strong language in this letter, perhaps not entirely unexpected. Right. Let's be clear. Uh, but, but what do you make of, of the points that Adam Schiff is making specifically in this dear colleague letter? When I look at this letter, it seems clear to me that he will be pursuing an article of impeachment for obstruction of Congress on the basis Keith just said, plus on the witness intimidation and possibly even on the Don McGahn Robert Mueller in information he mentioned, he alludes to that in this letter. Now, consciousness of guilt, the phrase that we just saw, that really is just the basic common sense notion that you don't hold back witnesses, you don't hold back evidence unless you are hiding something. And if you are, then it tells us something about what's going on in your mind. So as we, as we look at all that, uh, you know, Phil, as, as Sarah just mentioned, um, Schiff told, Chairman Schiff told Jake over the weekend, he said, Listen, there's nobody else scheduled, but as to whether he's ready to impeach, he was a little bit evasive. I just want to play that moment. Do you think President Trump should be impeached? I want to discuss this with my constituents and my colleagues before I make a final judgment on it. You've also said that what you've seen is, quote, far more serious than what Nixon did. Explain to me how you have not come to the conclusion that the president should be impeached. Well, I certainly think that the evidence that's been produced um, overwhelmingly shows serious misconduct by the president. But I do want to hear uh, more from my constituents and I want to hear more from my colleagues. So he says in the letter, what's left now to decide is whether the constitutional process of impeachment is warranted. Do you see a scenario where, in fact, impeachment is not pursued? I mean, I I can certainly visualize that scenario, particularly given the fact that Republicans are so obstinate in opposition Mm -hmm. to this. I think the Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, wants very much to have this be a process that moves forward, to have the vote include some Republican votes. I I don't think it's likely that they won't pursue articles of impeachment, but I can certainly see why there may be some internal deliberation saying, hey, do we want to go through with this thing? It's going to be framed as being strictly Democrats against Republicans, which itself isn't a fair frame, mind you, because Justin Amish, who was a, a representative from Michigan, was basically forced out of the Republican Party because he supported impeachment o- over the summer. Uh, so th- so the, the, there is, I guess, some bipartisanship in that sense. But I, I certainly do think that it is important to Representative Schiff, to Speaker Pelosi to some extent as well, to sort of present this as being a we are still in the deliberative mm-hmm. process period here. Uh, and I think that's part of why you hear that from Schiff. Right, because there is a political calculus, Alice. Sure, there is. And I think it was very telling in the interview that he did with Jake over the weekend. Jake gave him several opportunities to come out full force saying, yes, we are ready to impeach. It's absolutely going to happen. And he was very reserved on this. I think it's really important to remember, if you look back at the uh, Clinton impeachment as well as the Nixon impeachment, that was bipartisan. There were Republicans that were calling for this as well. We don't have that here. And 
first and foremost, Nancy Pelosi was very hesitant to proceed with going down this road unless there was overwhelming and compelling as well as bipartisan support for that. They don't have that. And it's not a matter of the fact that Republicans are holding back uh, for the sake of being Republican. It's because they haven't seen the evidence. If anyone was going to come out and and break ranks and sever themselves from the Republicans, it would have been Congressman Will Hurd, who has a lot of problems with the president. But he was very clear in his statements last week saying that he that, that impeachment needs to be compelling. It needs to be overwhelming. And he himself says he has not seen the evidence to move forward with an impeachment. Keith, if Democrats do not pursue this? Are they harmed, especially moving into 2020? If they don't pursue impeachment, I don't see any chance that they won't pursue impeachment. And um, responding to Alice, I mean, Will Hurd was a disappointment for sure, but he said that the president's conduct was inappropriate. Um, he just said it wasn't, it wasn't impeachable. And I think what's happened is that the Republicans have decided that they've changed so much as a party. They're willing to march lockstep with Donald Trump across the cliff. If you say that the president of the United States can encourage a foreign government to interfere in our nation's elections, and that is not impeachable conduct. It's just inappropriate. That's that's wildly unacceptable for a future president. It sets for other presidents in our country. I don't think that's the direction we want to go as a country. Not to mention the fact that you have plenty of other Republicans who have expressed concerns about what took place. Some, like Justin Amash, who's a former Republican, he would be it would be bipartisan, but he had to leave the party because he realized that there was no room in the party for disagreement and dissent. And he would have made that a bipartisan impeachment process. I think it's also important. I mean, Will Hurd's not alone. There are a lot of Republicans, myself included, who have said from day one, this is inappropriate, this is ill-advised, but it does not rise to the level of impeachment. I was ready to go into this hearing with both eyes wide open. If there was anything more, anything further, compelling evidence, I was willing to change my mind. I didn't see it. And what I think will? a lot we're of gonna Republicans have to feel this. This discussion we're going to have to leave, but we have okay. much more. Don't you worry. Coming up, including President Trump's Pentagon chief, talking for the first time today since this drama-filled weekend, which of course ended with the firing of the Navy secretary and a letter taking shots at the president. Plus, our first look at the thieves who stole hundreds of priceless jewels and treasures in what could be the biggest museum heist since World War II. In our national lead today, the Secretary of Defense said it is time for the Navy to move on after a confusing and chaotic weekend that ended with the Secretary of the Navy being fired and a Navy SEAL found to have brought discredit to the armed services allowed to keep his SEAL status. As CNN's Barbara Starr reports, this all comes after President Trump intervened in the controversial case, despite warnings from some of his top military leaders. President Trump has now ordered the Pentagon to allow Eddie Gallagher to keep his status as a Navy SEAL. He's a great fighter. He was the, uh, one of the ultimate fighters. Tough guy. The controversial case ended with the shocking firing of Navy Secretary Richard Spencer by Defense Secretary Mark Esper. Esper saying today that Spencer was conducting back-channel communications with the White House without telling him. Secretary Spencer had proposed a deal whereby if the president allowed the Navy to handle the case, he would guarantee that Eddie Gallagher would be restored to rank, allowed to retain his trident. That would have meant a pre-cooked deal for what was supposed to be an impartial process. We had no knowledge whatsoever. We were flabbergasted by it. 
Earlier this year, Gallagher was convicted of posing for a photo with the corpse of an ISIS fighter after being acquitted of premeditated murder and attempted murder. The president took a keen interest in the case, repeatedly intervening on Gallagher's behalf, all of which could leave the Pentagon damaged. It makes it appear like as if there's really not accountability, that if people violate their oath or commit crimes, there's a way out and they can be Uh, They can escape accountability uh, if they get the president in their corner. Spencer never acknowledged the back-channel talks in his forced resignation letter, writing, I no longer share the same understanding with the commander-in-chief who appointed me. I cannot in good conscience obey an order that I believe violates the sacred oath I took. This is all about ego and retaliation. This has nothing to do with good order and discipline. They could have taken my trident at any, any time they wanted. Now they're trying to take it after the president restored my rank. And now Eddie Gallagher is expected to retire in just a few days at the end of the month with his SEAL status intact. Secretary Esper, the Pentagon chief, wants everybody to move on. But it remains to be seen how long the very bad feelings will linger. Erica? Barbara Starr with the latest from the Pentagon. Barbara, thank you. Joining me now, Democratic Senator Gary Peters of Michigan. He is a former lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy Reserve and now serves on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, As you just heard, Senator, as you just heard Barbara say, Defense Secretary Esper says it's time now to move on, to focus on the mission. You've said, though, that you believe this undermines the commanders. What is your main concern? Well, it does. Uh, the president's actions uh, undermine uh, the commander's uh, uh, good order and discipline is absolutely critical in the military, particularly with uh, the Navy SEALs. You know, I'm ranking member of the subcommittee that actually oversees our special operations forces. Uh, these are incredible individuals, do incredible work. Uh, but it's uh, incumbent that we follow rule of law and the military code of justice, and folks need to be held accountable if uh, they are not within the, that code. Uh, and we need to have that standard, and that standard is important for the rest of the world to understand that the American military is the most professional force in the world because we uphold standards. So then following up on that, what, what precedent do you think this sets? Because it sounds as if you're saying the standards are being thrown out the window. Well, when you have the president uh, engaged in this, there's a process that you go through. It's a military justice process. There are review boards. Uh, We're dealing right now actually in the SEAL community with uh, a variety of issues that uh, are a challenge to the culture. I can tell you in the conversations I've had with senior leaders at the U.S. Navy, it's something that has to be addressed. Uh, They are taking action. They're holding people accountable to standards that are not up to what you would expect of a U.S. Navy SEAL. And they need to be allowed uh, to do that. And to have the president intervene for whatever political reason uh, he thinks uh, he needs to intervene really undermines uh, what the Navy needs to do to maintain the professionalism that we are known for and is essential for our national security. In terms of that professionalism, former Navy Secretary uh, Richard Spencer in his letter wrote, quote, I no longer share the same understanding with the commander in chief who appointed me in regards to the key principle of good order and discipline and says he can't in good conscience obey an order that I believe violates the sacred oath I took. Is it right if we're talking about standards, if we're talking about the way things uh, are done, is it right for him to publicly rebuke his commander in chief? 
Uh, well, I don't know the circumstances. I think we need to know more exactly what happened. You know, you read uh, that letter. We have something different from the Secretary of mm -hmm. Defense. I think we need to have more facts as to what happened. This back and forth, I think, is confusing to everybody. But I think the fact remains to have the president engaged in a disciplinary action that goes through the, the military justice process is simply a, a bad precedent to set. And I think it damages the, the morale of the military as well. The president, for his part, uh, just a short time ago in the Oval Office this afternoon, weighed in. Here's some of what he had to say. I think what I'm doing is sticking up for our armed forces. And there's never been a president that's going to stick up for them and has, like I have, including the fact that we spent two and a half trillion dollars on rebuilding our armed forces. I know you've talked about the process that in place, but is this in any way the president? Do you see this as the president sticking up for the armed forces? Uh, well, I, I don't see this. When, when you're dealing with the, the, the uh, military justice uh, system, uh, you shouldn't uh, intervene, uh, which uh, appears to be on a, on a whim and perhaps uh, motivated by something other than justice. I don't want to say what that may be because I don't know what that is. But we have a very comprehensive criminal justice system that holds people accountable when they are acting outside of the uniform court of uh, military justice. And uh, that's uh, we need to stand for that. I mean, we've seen this president oftentimes believe that the rules don't uh, apply to him and the laws don't apply to him. And apparently he thinks uh, he can extend that to other individuals uh, in the military. And I think that kind of break uh, breakdown of good order and discipline is not healthy for the military. And it doesn't do anything to maintain the incredible professional that we are known for uh, around the world. Before we let you go, I do just want to get your take on impeachment. You, of course, represent uh, a state that the president uh, won narrowly in 2016. A recent New York Times poll from last month found more than half of voters in six battleground states, including Michigan, imp oppose impeaching President Trump and removing him from office. Do you believe that this is worth the political risk for Democrats? Well, I think we have to see how it continues to play out. Uh, we're still, the House is still uh, finding facts. They're determining whether or not they will put articles of impeachment forward. Or they'll draft those. I think we need to see what uh, is in those articles if they are passed. And then, as you know, it comes to the Senate where a trial will be held. I will be a juror along with uh, my Senate uh, colleagues. And I just hope uh, when it's all said and done that we're focused not on the politics. This is a very serious business uh, put forward by our uh, framers, our founders, who thought it was important for Congress to have this power in order to be a check on the executive. They were particularly fearful of the abuse of power that you could have from the executive. Uh, we have to treat this based on the facts and then let the facts drive the, the discussion, because ultimately, whatever is decided, uh, this could very well set a precedent for the behavior of future presidents. And I think we need to be looking at this from a historical perspective and really understand how important it is for the future of our country. Senator Gary Peters, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, this is one we really haven't heard before. The new defense of President Trump, which actually sounds a lot like what North Koreans call dictator Kim Jong-un. Never mind the consensus of the entire U.S. intelligence community or that top U.S. officials have said repeatedly it was Russia that interfered in the 2016 election. President Trump and now many of his allies want you to believe Ukraine was also up to the same dirty tricks. As CNN's Boris Sanchez reports, the effort to sow doubt could impact what's next in the impeachment inquiry. President Trump today welcoming the prime minister of Bulgaria to the White House. 
Well, we have a great friendship. They're great people. While the president and his allies continue to peddle debunk conspiracy theories about another Eastern European nation, making unfounded claims about Ukraine's involvement with Democrats during the 2016 election. First, Trump went on Fox. They gave the server to CrowdStrike or whatever it's called, which is a country, which is a company owned by a very wealthy Ukrainian. And I still want to see that server. You know, the FBI has never gotten that server. Are you sure they gave it to Ukraine? Well, that's what the word is. You have avocado. Then this weekend, his supporters in the Senate followed in his footsteps. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy casting doubt about Russia's meddling in 2016, contradicting not only the U.S. intelligence community, but also the findings of his own colleagues on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Was it Russia or Ukraine? I don't know, nor do you, nor do any of us. Uh, Miss Hill. Uh, well, I mean, let me just, let me just interrupt to say the entire intelligence community says it was Russia. Th- right. But it could also be Ukraine. I'm not saying that I know one way or the other. Another key Trump ally, the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Devin Nunes, now facing questions about his ties to Ukraine. uh, An attorney for indicted Rudy Giuliani associate Lev Parnas tells CNN his client is willing to talk to Congress about what he knows about a top Ukrainian at the center of allegations against Biden meeting with Nunes in Austria in 2018. The attorney said his client was told by the Ukrainian prosecutor Viktor Shokin about the meeting. Nunes disputed the claim in an interview on Fox Business, but provided no specifics. And what always happens is right when we expose them, what do they do? They go out to kill the messenger. So this week, another fake news story. Republicans' loyalty to the president, even in the face of facts, epitomized by outgoing Energy Secretary Rick Perry, who says he believes Trump is on a holy mission. And I said, Mr. President, I know there are people that say, you know, you you said you were the chosen one. Uh, And and I I said, you were. I I said, if if you're a believing Christian, you understand God's plan uh, for the people who uh, rule and 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 judge over us on on this planet in our in our government. And Erica, President Trump was asked today about a comment that Rudy Giuliani made over the weekend, saying that he has insurance in case President Trump were to throw him under the bus. Today, Trump saying he does not know what Giuliani is talking about, but praised the former mayor of New York City and said that the press treats him unfairly. Erica, Boris Sanchez with the latest for us at the White House. Boris, thank you. Uh, Phil, as we look at all this, the president and his allies continue to push this debunked notion, right, that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election, not Russia. And Russia, just just to remind people, right, so Russia spread disinformation, hacked into servers, tried to sow division, trying to equate that with an op-ed that an official may have written uh, about something that then-candidate Trump said about Ukraine. Not exactly the same thing. That being said, Mm -hmm. this conspiracy campaign seems to be gaining traction. And followers. So how do you refute that when the facts aren't working? Uh, That's the question, right? I I don't know. I wish I did. I mean, uh, part of our job as journalists Mm -hmm. is to say, here's what's actually happening. And when people simply say, no, I don't accept that, like Senator Kennedy, what do you do? I don't know what to do with that. I mean, I wish I did. I I mean, I think it's important to reiterate, though. We needed the magic answer from you. Come on. (laughs) I wish. I wish. I'd be hosting my own show if I could do that. Uh, You know, but I mean, the the real issue here is the point that you raised at the onset. There's there's simply no evidence that Ukraine, Mm -hmm. as an institute, you know, the body, the government of Ukraine, 
had any role in trying to interfere in 2016. There's these piecemeal contacts between Ukrainian <clears throat> officials and, and these other things. But there's no evidence in Russia. You know, I mean, the, the evidence of Russia that was presented by Donald Trump there saying that Ukraine maybe had the server, which is just absolute nonsense. I mean, it's not even tangentially close to accurate. Mm-hmm. But this idea that Russia didn't, you know, the only evidence we have is through this company that Trump says is tied to Ukraine is also ridiculous. Robert Mueller has is this lengthy indictment of Russians for what they did, including messages from the Russians between, you know, to, to one another that somehow they obtained from the Russians. I mean, it's just it is all we can do at this point, as far as I'm concerned, is simply say what what is being presented and endorsed by Donald Trump and his supporters is utterly nonsensical and inaccurate. Yeah, the, the information is overwhelming that Russia was behind this and that we need to focus on that and need to make sure it doesn't happen again. I, I, I think spreading this type of misinformation is not good and it sends us in the wrong direction. And it further goes on to what Fiona Hill said last week. The more we go about um, dividing America and dividing politics, spreading misinformation, this is exactly what Russia wants. Right. You're so do- we need to stop spreading it's misinformation. It's doing the bidding. Ex- exactly. And we need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. That's where the focus is. So there are also a number of questions uh, after a lawyer for Giuliani associate, Lev Parnas, told CNN that Parnas is actually willing to tell Congress that Devin Nunes, of course, the on the Intelligence Committee, uh, Republican ranking member, member, went to Vienna last year to meet with a former Ukrainian process prosecutor to dig up dirt on the Bidens. Now, Nunes, of course, wouldn't talk to CNN about this, uh, about the trip, did not deny it when asked about the reporting on Fox. Take a look at that moment. Bottom line, were you in Vienna with Shokin? Yeah, so look, Maria, uh, I really want to answer all of these questions. Uh, and I promise you, I absolutely will come back on the show and answer these questions. But because there is criminal activity here, we're working with the appropriate law enforcement agencies. So, Ellie, he eventually told Breitbart that the CNN reporting was, in his words, demonstrably false. If this is true, though, how big a deal is this? Devin Nunez needs to be really careful because let's all remember, it is a federal crime to solicit from a foreign national campaign assistance. Those three things. So if he sat down with a foreign national, that seems to be the case here, if this reporting is true, and solicited, ask for an investigation of the Bidens, which it doesn't have to help your campaign, Devin Nunes. It can help someone else's campaign, too. If the intent here was to help Donald Trump's campaign, and if that's a thing of value, which is a little bit of a legal dispute, then that's a crime. So he's on very thin ice here and needs to be really careful. And Keith Jackie Spears actually saying she wants health ethics to look into this. I think there should be an investigation. Devin Nunes was the ranking member of, of the uh, Intelligence Committee for Republicans, and he's sitting up there conducting an investigation while never at any point disclosing his own involvement, entanglement with Ukraine, his involvement in digging up dirt, allegedly, uh, on the Bidens. So he's a co-conspirator in the very investigation that he's supposedly investigating. This makes no sense. And uh, it goes goes to show, you know, Giuliani is now under investigation. You know, his associates, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, have been indicted. All these Trump people who are associated with defending Trump have come under this cloud of scrutiny suddenly 
But nobody is really scrutinizing uh, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, because they haven't been they haven't been convicted of anything. They haven't been indicted for anything. Nobody's there's no federal investigation of them, even from the Trump Justice Department. So why is the Trump Justice Department so curiously interested in, in investigating Giuliani and his associates, but not interested in, in, in investigating Hunter Biden and Joe Biden? It's because there is nothing to find there with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. But there's plenty of criminal evidence or potential criminal evidence with with the uh, with with Giuliani and his associates. I think we can all say definitively this is not the last uh, that we've heard of this. Uh, a major court, though, decision we are waiting for. It is expected at any minute. It could have a serious impact on the impeachment investigation. More on that next. In our politics lead, any moment now, a D.C. judge will decide if former White House counsel Don McGahn must testify in front of Congress about the president. It is the first major court ruling in the fight between the White House and the House. CNN's Evan Perez joins me now. So, Evan, if the judge rules in the House's favor, what happens next? Well, it could mean that Don McGahn will have to at least show up to uh, to, to answer this subpoena. Right now, he's been fighting for several months, uh, Erica, this subpoena from the from the House uh, for testimony related to the to the Mueller investigation. And so, if the Trump administration loses uh, in this round with the judge, uh, we may still see some appeals. But at least it means eventually that Don McGahn could be forced to to show up to to answer the subpoena. And and what's the impact then on some of the other witnesses? Uh, the John Bolton's, the Mick Mulvaney's of the world. Well, again, if the if the Democrats win this, it means that the judge is going to essentially uh, pierce this uh, wall that the Trump administration has built around all of these witnesses, saying that there is absolute immunity, meaning that they don't even have to show up to 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 to, uh, to respond to these subpoenas. So it could mean that that uh, that Charles Kupperman, it could mean John Bolton may end up in the same place. But keep in mind, we're talking about months and months uh, away from now, and the mm-hmm. Democrats are moving a lot more quickly on this impeachment inquiry, as you heard, uh, you know, earlier today, the, uh, the, the, they are saying that they're going to try to wrap this up in the next couple of weeks. And so uh, it may be too late for the impeachment inquiry. And just and, and just remind us too, Evan, what is it that they want to hear from Don McGahn at this point? Well, they want to hear what he was, what he testified in all of his, you know, his testimony to the Mueller investigations. A lot of that we still don't know. Some of that was in, obviously, in the Mueller report. But they, but the Democrats want to hear a lot more about what the president was doing to obstruct justice in that investigation, according to according to those findings. So that's part of what you know possibly could be part of the impeachment inquiry, whether or not uh, the president is obstructing not only uh, you know obstructed justice in that investigation, but also obstructing Congress in the current impeachment inquiry. Evan Perez, appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Michael Bloomberg jumping into the packed Democratic race with billions and a potentially risky strategy that could disregard the most important person in the race, Mr. Momentum. In our 2020 lead, he's wasting no time, except, of course, for all the time that he's actually lost by now. The newest Democratic presidential candidate, Michael Bloomberg, at his first campaign event today in what money see as not only a last minute, but a long shot bid for the White House. And at the center of the conversation about his chances, this is money. The former New York mayor dropping $37 million in TV ads that are already bombarding the airwaves. So will they work? You know, what's interesting is it's not just the money that's being sent and the TV ads. His camp, Keith says he's not accepting donations, right? So we're not talking about any debates here. He's not going to Iowa. He's not going to New Hampshire. Skipping the early states, not being on that debate stage. What's the message that that sends to voters? 
I think the message is one of arrogance, quite frankly. I think he's saying he can just come in because he's got billions of dollars and buy his way into the into a candidacy. Um, he's not had to had to not to go through the whole series of debates the other candidates have gone through. He apparently seems to think there's an opening because Biden isn't doing as well as he would like. But the reality is that 75 percent of voters in the most recent Gallup poll say they're actually satisfied with their choices. Compare that to 1992, when only 44 percent of Democrats were satisfied with their choices. Democrats ended up electing Bill. Clinton. So I don't understand the need for, for, for Mike Bloomberg. I don't think his policies are supported by the base. And I don't think he has much of a chance. Well, well, I hear you. Bloomberg's folks will tell you, though, that they do see an opening here. They, you know, they feel as though he can run in that moderate lane, mm-hmm. uh, the same lane, obviously, that Biden and Buttigieg are running in as well. I mean, I think there is a question if outside of New York, outside of Connecticut, outside of New Jersey, how well he's playing in the Midwest, how well he's playing out in California. I was talking to some folks out there and it was a Bloomberg who question mark. So there is that there. But it's very clear that Bloomberg's people see a window here. They say they see some weaknesses here and they, and they think they can make a run, on, run it, for it. It's interesting because we talk about what he's spending on TV ads and he's bombarding the airways. I mean, he's second in spending here and he's just jumping in, spending thirty seven million dollars, second only to Tom Steyer as as we look at this, he's also getting immediate, not surprising, Phil, but immediate pushback sure. from some of his fellow Democrats. Here's a little bit of that. We do not believe that billionaires have the right to buy elections. Michael Bloomberg is making a bet about democracy in 2020. He doesn't need people. He only needs bags and bags of money. I don't get getting into the race with your spokesperson saying you're getting in because you don't like the rest of the candidates. Is his biggest hurdle at this point his money? I, I don't think you can say that. I mean, the only reason he we're talking about him as at all viable, of course, is his money. The fact the guy has more than fifty billion dollars. I mean, I think, you know, when when this was first sort of bandied about several months ago, uh, alongside Tom Steyer mm-hmm. and uh, the, the gentleman from Starbucks, whose name actually Howard escapes Howard Schultz, Howard Schultz. <laughs> yeah. which shows how well his campaign went. Yeah, uh, you know, when that was first being discussed. I mean, you sort of had to stop and ask yourself, is a, an older white man who is extremely wealthy who Democrats want to pick? I don't think the answer to that has suddenly become yes. Mm-hmm. I do think that he's making this conscious choice to say, you know what, I am standing aside from the field. You know, by not taking donations, he doesn't end up on the debate stage. I think he sees that as advantageous. But I also think we have a recent history of a New York City mayor who has decided to forego early states and hope that he would play catch up at the end. And that was Rudy Giuliani in 2008, who got oh. absolutely demolished. And, and yeah, how we saw that, that work out for him not very well. The, the reality... The reality is, in presidential politics, money is good, but writing a check may open the door, but pressing the flesh closes the deal. You have to get out there and talk with voters. You have to go to Iowa. I think it personally should be against the law to run for president. If you haven't been to Iowa been and Iowa. had a pork chop on a stick <laughs> at the Iowa State, State Fair, Fair. You, you really do need to is, go out and do that. Do you see him really, Alice, as we're looking at this, because we were talking briefly in the, in the break, and I know you see Pete Buttigieg really as a strong candidate in your mind. If he's putting himself out there as a moderate. Is he really a threat at this point to any candidate? To Bloomberg. I don't, see, I don't see so because what he's doing really is he's really showing a contrast between he and Donald Trump and, and most of the language that he's pushing. Uh, I hate to break it to him. It's not a binary choice at this point. He's running against a large field of candidates 
some strong uh, moderate candidates, Joe Biden and Buttigieg. And depending on how the Democratic field wants to go and Democratic voters wants to go, want to go, they, have, they can go far left and go to the far left candidates of Warren and Sanders. So they do have a lot of choices, whether or not they have what it takes to take on Donald Trump, I don't know. But there are plenty of choices out there. And for, for Bloomberg to get in here, I think it's, a, it's a, going to be a heavy lift. Well, we will be watching it all. Uh, thank you all. New video just in shows thieves in Germany pulling off what may be one of the biggest jewelry heists ever. So you're looking at the video here. You can see the thieves breaking into Dresden Castle, smashing glass in the green vault. They stole some 100 diamonds and gemstones. Keep in mind, some of these date back to the 18th century. Some of them are so old, they are literally priceless. They can't be covered by insurance. CNN's Melissa Bell is live in Dresden, Germany. So with these new pictures, Melissa, we're also getting pictures of some of the jewels that were stolen. That's right. The police tweeting out some of those pictures of what have been described as immeasurably valuable pieces of jewellery. You can see on those photographs, Erica, just how intricate they are. In all, we're hearing that about 100 treasures were stolen in the early hours of the morning. You see that CCTV footage. Two men made their way inside Dresden Castle here into that green vault. Now, initially, we'd heard reports of a fire nearby that had put out the electrical grid, and that has now been specifically linked to this by the police. So all the streets, all the lights in the street were off when the two men made their way in. On that CCTV footage, you see them using an axe to get into those uh, windows to get through to the jewellery, trying to break it six, six blows it took to get through and then making their way out. In all, it took just a matter of minutes. Now, how much has been stolen? That's one of the big questions we'd, we've been reaching out to specialists all day. They've said, you simply can't put a figure on this. What we're talking about is artifacts and jewellery that have such historical and cultural value uh, that they are quite literally priceless. Um, is there any sense to that other people may be involved here? I know you said the fire was connected. Well, when you look at those CCTV pictures, you see two uh, individuals on them. What the police have specifically said is that they believe that there could be other people who were involved in that. They were looking for an Audi that uh, these two people who left here had made their way away from the scene in. That same car was then found later burnt out uh, close by in Dresden. So how they made their escape from there, whether they left the city, these are still unanswered questions tonight. Two or more individuals remain on the run, Erica. Melissa Bell with the latest from Dresden. Melissa, thank you. Happening right now, a judge is about to sentence the Chinese woman caught breaking into President Trump's Mar-a-Lago property carrying multiple cell phones and a hard drive. That's next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.